place. It's such a, an honor to welcome you to Providence Church. My name's Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here, and man, we are just thrilled to have you uh, here at our service. want to say hello and welcome those who are joining us uh, live streaming right now. Uh, we're so glad that you are joining us. We are in the midst of studying uh, 10 verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're spending a whole month on 10 verses uh, just as a way of letting it settle in in our hearts. Uh, God has a way of, of using the scriptures as we go over them over and over again and lifting up new things and, and creating a deeper experience. So I hope that it'll be a, a great time for you uh, as you journey through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. These are the verses I went over last week, and this is what we got this week as well. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I want to read that to you again. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's this thing that happens to me uh, when I drop my girls off in the car line at school. Most all of my sermon illustrations come from the car line at school, and I have yet another for you. Uh, There's this thing that happens to me, not every time. If it happened every time, I wouldn't be able to handle it, but every once in a while, uh, it seems when I'm uh, slowed down a bit on the inside, in my mind and in my heart, uh, most mornings I'm rushing, <laughs> you know, to get people in different places. But every once in a while, there's this thing that happens when I see my girls with their, you know, a ponytail and a backpack bounding into school. It feels like my heart is overflowing and breaking at the same time. It's this interesting feeling that I only have uh, when I see the thing I value the most walk away from me. Uh, it happened to me just uh, a few days ago, which is why I'm thinking about it. On Tuesday, I dropped Phoebe off at the school, and we were having a particularly uh, quiet morning uh, riding together. In fact, we had just gone to this uh, new donut shop that opened right around the corner from my house. So my life just keeps getting better. <laughs> I want to be, I, it just keeps getting better. There's a donut shop just like right there. And if you go and pay cash, uh, no one can track how many mornings uh, that you go there. So <laughs> Phoebe and I have been going to the donut shop. And so we were kind of quiet. I think our bodies were like processing sugar um, and like yours is right now. So we were feeling kind of sleepy and just quiet. We hold hands. We have this routine. We hold hands and then we get to the school. We say a prayer and then she got out. She turns around and looks at me. But then as she was walking away, it was so strange. This feeling that I had, I know that it's called love, but it felt like I was losing something. It doesn't happen every morning. I was like, ah, I'm losing her again. And, and again, these guys, these girls are my treasure. I value them. It's weird when your treasure puts on legs and walks away from you. And it made me think of this scripture that says, if you sow just a little bit, you'll probably get a little bit back. But if you pour everything out, if you sow generously into the fields of your life, if you throw all the seed out, then the return will be great. And I was thinking about Phoebe walking away. You know, if she never walks away from me, there's no return and Phoebe and I still have a great return. When I pull up at night, she hears the garage door uh, opener, and she usually meets me in the garage. It's so cool. 
It's, you know, our moment, but it is, I'll tell you, it is a grand reunion still. And I think about uh, times when I want to just hold on, but the scripture tells us if you hold on, you get a little bit back. If you pour it out, there will be much more that will come back. Some of what I'm talking about right now I've heard referred to as God's economy, that God has an upside-down economy, that God's kingdom is often upside-down from the way that we would think about things. Uh, pouring a bunch out, that's how you get a bunch back. Uh, some, some examples of God's economy would be like this. The, the scriptures say, Jesus says, the last will be first. Well, our economy says the last will be last, right? God flips that upside down. In God's economy, we're told that the greatest will be the servant of all. The greatest will be the servant of all. Our economy says what? The greatest will have servants. In God's economy, something we've talked about this year is we're told that if we'll get actually more done, we'll be more effective if we work six days and stop for one day than if we push it and go all the way through seven days. That doesn't make sense. It would seem that you'd be able to get a seventh more done if you went another day. God says, no, my economy is different. A study came out just this week that said uh, it was of a big uh, uh, multi-billion dollar company that did a study, and they found that the four-day work week is actually uh, leading to more uh, effectiveness than the five-day work week. So you can go in tomorrow and tell your boss that. Tell me how it goes, right? <laughs> One that we're talking about more this morning is this idea that God says if you give, you'll have more. Um, in the scriptures, there's talked about a tithe or giving 10%, and those who have lived into that can say, yeah, I know, it's weird. I actually can do more with the 90% than I could do with the 100%. 90% somehow goes farther than the 100%. It's upside down, and so we kind of have to think that through because our, our brains, we haven't been thinking that way. It's not the economy that we live in. You see, we usually think, we think everything is mine. We kind of start that way, right? Everything is mine, a child, uh, when they're born, thinks everything's mine. Uh, they, they think that's my toy, that's my mom, that's my movie on the screen, don't turn it off, that's my bottle. And even when kids get their first chance at language, one of the first things they say, they learn to say and like to say is mine, 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 mine. One of my favorite pictures of Phoebe and one of her best buds, Ty, that she grew up with is this one. They're sitting up in our bonus room. They were together just this week. They, they've lived their lives together. And this is our house. Both of those rocking horse giraffes are Phoebe's. And the struggle she's feeling is, is she can't have both of them at the same time, right? <laughs> and that's basically how Ty still looks at Phoebe, you know? It's like, what in the world? <laughs> but what happens when you have this mind mentality is you really get to know fear. You feel like that a lot. Ah, how do I hold it all? How do I sit on both? It's all mine. And how do I wrap my, and so it really brings up all this, you really get to know fear really well when you walk around thinking that, that everything is mine. Kids get afraid because they don't understand there's other people taking care of stuff and sharing's good and all those, all those kind of things. But as adults, we can do this too, I think. Now, I know that you're probably not going to be in the parking lot and see somebody else's car and think that's mine. But you might do this, and this is where God's kingdom gets really turned upside down. You might think that everything of yours is yours. And we actually, as Christians, don't even think that everything is mine, that of mine is mine. The perspective is actually that everything is God's. Everything. Right? Not everything is mine, but that everything is God's. This is foundational to the people of God. It's foundational to walk around thinking that everything is actually God's. There's scripture after scripture like this one in Psalm 24 where David, who was a king, 
who had access to everything, said the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's a big change of perspective, begin living like everything is God's. If you live like everything, even if you live like everything of yours is yours, even like your kids and things that are super important, you'll begin to know fear. You'll know fear so well because everything is yours and that's scary. But if you start living like everything is God's, everything, like my marriage, it's God's. My retirement, it's God's. My grandchildren, they're God's. My savings account, that's God's. If you begin to do that, you will really know trust. And God's economy is built on trust, not on fear. So much of the kingdom we live in and the economy that we live in is built on fear. God's inviting us into a different way of understanding our own lives, and it's built on trust. God's economy is different. You know, we think, I earned this. That's a big part of our economy. I earned this. If, you have, if I have something, you know why I have it? I earned it. I earned it. Well, I'll cut to the chase on this one. If you live your life like everything you have, you earned, you will really know sadness. I'm serious. Life is actually sadder if you think you earned everything you have and the only person that you can thank for all your goodness is you. That's sad. The saddest people I know think that they earned everything in their life. I'm not diminishing hard work. God's not diminishing hard work. You can hear in the principle of sowing and reaping, this pouring yourself out. I mean, that sounds like the value of hard work. I'm gonna sow much. I'm gonna work hard. But we do see that if we get that mixed up and begin seeing all the gifts of our lives as results of our own earning capacity, we're gonna be really sad. God says, it's not really an I earned this. God says it's God gave this. That's what happens in God's economy. God gave this. I believe that just this part right here could free somebody up this morning. Somebody that's been living, I earned this, I earned this, I earned this, and you're like, why am I so sad? Why am I so sad? Why am I so sad? I earned this, I have a lot, why am I so sad? Because we weren't made to go around thinking we earned everything. We were made to live in a place where we thank God for all that he gave us. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. So you can read there that most of the good things in our lives come from God. Every good thing comes from God. That's our mindset. That's our economy. Every good and perfect gift is from above. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, there's this question, what do you have that you did not receive? Like, think about it. What did you have that you did not receive? Even our verse for uh, today, which is God is able to bless you abundantly in all things, at all times, having all that you need so that you will abound in every good work. You hear that it is God who is able to bless you. God is able to bless you abundantly. Not I am able, not my ability, but God is able to do this thing that I cannot do on my own. If you begin to live into this, you'll still work hard. You'll work, you'll work harder. You'll pour yourself into things. Your, your, your life will begin to have a mission in the midst of it, and you won't be sad. You'll really know provision. It's different. When you begin to acknowledge that all the good stuff is from God, you begin to see how God, the things in your life are from God, and God is providing for you. And so uh, when things aren't going well in your life, uh, if you are uh, an I earned it kind of person, you'll just be sad all the time. But if you can get this flipped upside down, uh, you'll find that even in good times, what you'll do is praise God. When you have a lot, you'll praise God. And when you don't have a lot, guess what you'll do? Praise God. <laughs> I got all this good stuff. Thank you, God. Everything's not going perfectly. I still praise you, God. Why? Because you begin to live into a trust relationship with God. 
where you're able to see provision even when you feel like you don't have everything you need. That sounds upside down, right? It sounds crazy, but, I, but what we're hearing in the scripture is an invitation to live into this. God's economy drives out sadness and allows us to walk through our lives seeing God's provision over and over and over again. We think the more I hold on to, the more I will have. That makes sense, okay? <laughs> the more I hold on to, the more I will have. But if you live this way, you will really know exhaustion. You will never have enough hands to hold on to all your stuff. You will never have storage barns big enough. You will never have bank accounts with all the right interest rates. You'll never have enough time to keep an eye on it all. If you're constantly trying to hold on to all the good things God has given you, you'll be exhausted and you'll never know what a return is like because you only get a return when you give something away. God's economy says, the more I give away, the greater the return. God's, God says, the more you give away, the greater the return. What we have to be careful with on this, though, right, is to remember that this is not a formula. This is not a mathematical rule. You do this plus this, and you get that, right? We, if this was a formula, then I could be one of those preachers that says, if you put $10 in the offering basket today, you'll have $10,000 in your mailbox when you get home. That's not true, that's not going ha- to happen, right? you got to have a preacher with a much closer connection to God for that stuff to start happening. Because this is not a formula. This is a principle. A principle is something that's true, that becomes a foundation that you stand on, that impacts your behavior. And you do, and you live a principled life not based on results. You live it because you believe it to be true, and you trust in the one who's given that to you, right? So this is true, but it's not a formula. What we, what we learn when we begin to live into this is the return is joy. The return is joy in our lives. You will really know joy if you begin to give more and more away. You see, the promise of God is not exorbitant wealth. I know so many faithful Christians who are not living in exorbitant wealth. God's economy says the rich will become poor and the poor will become rich. I want you to know what you're being invited into. It's upside down. But we will all know, not exorbitant wealth, but inexplicable joy. The return is joy. You know, after coming out of our baptism service a couple of weeks ago, 137 people that said yes. My wife, Rachel, and I would find ourselves tearing up for days, even weeks after that. You know why? Because it made us feel such joy because we have been so invested in this. We've given our time and our energy and our money. And so the return has been this great joy in that. When Rachel and I were first married, I was still in, in college. Thanks for getting me through college, Rach. And uh, Rachel uh, was, was working a full-time job as a social worker. So we weren't living in exorbitant wealth. But we did make a decision when we first got married that we would uh, tithe 10% of our income first to God. The only reason we did that is because some people taught us to do that. And we wanted to live as faithful Christians and do whatever God had asked us to do. And so we began to do that. And what we have found is a great return. The return has been so great, we're able to give more than 10% now. But the return is joy. We've had times of want and times of, of plenty. But, but all through that, the return has been joy. We have lived into, to be able to tell you, we've been able to see that 90% goes way farther than the 100%, and sometimes when you extend yourself past 100%. The principle that I'm talking to you about is found in a small book in the Old Testament called Malachi. 
In chapter three, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. A tithe is uh, 10% of the crops from the harvest that would be brought back into the Lord's house. And God says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Test me in this as the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So that tenth being brought back, it sounds crazy, but God's saying, test me in this. I want you to know something as someone who's studied the Bible for 20 years. Very rarely does God say, test me in this. That's true. And so I'm just offering that to you as an invitation that God's saying, test me in this and see. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. I'm sharing all this with you right now because I believe that God can give you great joy in this. Some of you are, are, are giving to the church and you're ready to begin to give towards a tithe. Or you're saying, I'm in. I'm ready to, I'm ready to begin to do this and see what God's going to do in my life. I've had people text me from Thursday night service and say, we're going to try it. <laughs> we're going to go for it. Some here of you guys haven't given to the church. That's fine. But you may be here feeling something in your heart. Say, I want to I wanna sow into this. I want, to, I want to, to give into this. So I'm encouraging you to be generous in what you give. I've mailed to you. Most of y'all have received it. If you ever still go to your mailbox, there's uh, letters that come in that. I mailed a letter on Thursday um, that has a card in it that I'm asking our members and regular tenders, folks who give, to bring back next week. It's a way of indicating your uh, uh, giving for 2020 a way of saying I'm stepping into this. And so next week we'll have a special commitment time in the service where you can bring that card back. Our church has seen this principle lived into in beautiful ways because of your generosity. The people that I have learned the most about generosity from are Providence Church. <laughs> in three and a half years, our, our giving at this church has doubled. It's amazing. We, uh, we're, we're bringing in a, a little bit less than a million dollars a year before we built this church. And, and this year, we'll bring in $2.7 million. We have seen this principle lived out where we have tried to continue to pour out, and God keeps pouring it into us. We decided some years ago, we realized that the, the biggest giving day in our church year was Christmas Eve, and so we decided that we would give away our Christmas Eve offering, all of it. This year, it was $170,000, and we gave every penny of it away to women and children in this community, to kids in Haiti who need, who need a school to go to, and to school buses that were changed into uh, cafeterias that go into neighborhoods and feed kids. No sooner did we did that, it, it just keeps going. And uh, this summer, we, our heart, we learned of some refugee kids in Antioch who couldn't have the money to go to a Christian camp at the same time we were sending all our kids to camp. And I said, hey guys, we need $10,000, and y'all brought 50000 and so now those kids get to go to camp for years. You see what I'm saying? See the principle? It's like pouring out the storehouses. And so our church has lived in this principle where all our bills get paid for, like me. I'm one of the bills here. You know, all of our bills get paid for, and, then there's, and there's more than enough. When we took on the project of building this building on 23 acres of land, this amazing, beautiful place, it was an $8 million project total. That caused me a little consternation as a little guy preaching in a middle school gym. And do you know in those three and a half years, our principal has now been paid down $6 million on that $8 million project? Some people would cheer for that and just be excited and think that was amazing. <laughs> what that means is that as we head into 2020, our mortgage payment, our church has a mortgage payment, maybe like you do, maybe not, our church does, that our mortgage payment will be about 11% of our budget. 
which means uh, we get to pay for our bills and we get to pay uh, and send that out and pour out and pour out and pour out. I'm sharing this with you because I believe that there's a principle of joy and provision and generosity that's true. I'm not promising you exorbitant wealth, but I am saying that if you stand on this truth and act out of it, really beautiful things will happen. I do want to, at this point, also acknowledge that some of us are here is like, I can't give, and we, we're, we're spending more than our 100%. We get in those places, um, and, and I just want to say, this is still your church. This is your place every time, every moment, all that. It's not a give and take like that kind of deal, okay? We are starting in January uh, a class called Financial Peace University, where we've seen some of the principles of giving that I'm talking about here, and, and financial principles change people's lives, free them up. And so that may be you to say, I need to do some hard work. I need to sow some into this. So you can go ahead and sign up on our website for a financial piece uh, class that will start right at the beginning of January. You can sign up for that all the way up into it. Let me close with this, okay? My girls, they're my treasure. And if it was up to me, I would just hold on to them, right? I would just, so much so that I, I realized when they were four, uh, actually, when my daughter Mary was four, I realized four is awesome. Four years old, they kind of forget about their mom. They start, it's like when the, you know, the annoyance with mom starts and they realize how dad, how dad is awesome, right? That's four is amazing. And so they like to play games. They like to go do stuff. They like to go to the donut shop. Four years old is awesome. But for me, Mary's four went like this. And I had another one coming up the pipes. Her name's Lydia. And so when she turned four, I said, hey, Lydia, I've got a deal for you. If you stay four, we'll work this deal all the way out, man. Donut shop, the whole deal, I'm your guy, right? Well, you know what? She didn't keep up her end of the bargain. She turned five. You see, because at five, do you know what happens? Ponytails and backpacks, and they start walking away from you. And so Phoebe came up, she was four, and I said, Phoebe, if you stay four, this is going to be an amazing ride. And she said, I'm in. <laughs> and we had the greatest year. And on the night before her fifth birthday, she came to me and she said, Daddy, I can't do it. I can't stay four. You see, she was already learning that as you mature, you grow, and you leave. And our treasure gets legs on it, and it walks away. We give it away over and over and over. Some of you guys who are a little bit ahead of me in the game know also some, a part of that is like, one day I'm going to stand with my daughters, I hope, up in front of a service, and I have to give them away, Right? I hope it's right here, right here in this sanctuary. I would, I would love that. And they'll stand up next to some bozo who I know I'm not going to like. <laughs> and I know what will happen. The pastor will ask a question of the dad. Who presents this woman to be married to this man? They're not our property, so don't mis misunderstand that. This isn't a giving away anymore. It's a presentation of something that's of value to the family and two families coming together. But it's a beautiful part of, the, of, of a question. Who presents this woman? And I'll say, I'll say, her mom and I. <laughs> and then do you know what I'll do? I've seen it a hundred times. Do you know what I'll do? I'll go down and sit down in a chair. And she will stand. My hopes of a legacy run through them, not through what I can do, not through my earnings, not through what I can hold on to, but what I can pour out. What God begins to promise is, a, is an exponential kind of thing that can happen in the gifts that you pour out into the world. He says, if you sow just a little bit, you'll get a little bit back. But if you sow generously, you will reap generously. And so the question for us today is, 
Are we willing to give our treasure away? Are we willing to pour out our very best? Are we willing to do it over and over again and feel this feeling? It's called love, and it feels like a filling up and a pouring out at the same time. That's how God's economy works. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this call that you put upon our lives. It's better than what the world is offering. It's better than what the world is offering. Or the last or first, or the greatest is the servant of all. Where we rest and enjoy our lives rather than working. And where we don't overextend ourselves past 100%, but instead become people of generosity. Teach us, God, more what this means as this scripture is poured out into our hearts. We know that all this talk is about Jesus, that God loved the world so much he gave his very best, his his own son, he gave his son away so that we could know life. We thank you for Jesus' life, his teachings. We thank you that he went to the cross for our sins, was crucified, and then three days later rose from the grave. And in his life, his going into the soil, his death, we know life. And so we come today to Holy Communion to receive bread and juice as a symbol and sign of his love given for us, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us and for the forgiveness of sins. And we receive Jesus in this act. It's in his name we pray, amen.